Welcome to Father's Day, one and all. All of you fathers have a big responsibility in life. But you know what? You got a father that tells you how to do it. It came with instructions. And if you want to turn with me to Psalm 103. Father, just bless these words and, and, and let us understand that uh, your instruction, your power, and your will in our lives is the mightiest in Jesus' name. So I was looking, uh, looking for examples of fathers in the Bible, you know, and there's some, there's some really terrible fathers in the Bible. You know who was really a bad one? David. Yes, David was always off to war, and he was not fathering Absalom, and Absalom decided that, hey, I want your chair, and everything that goes with it. So absentee fathers is a bad thing, even though he had a heart after God, correct? Yeah. Okay. And Adam, I don't know if Adam was really a bad dad, but he had one kid that just went off, really went off the rails. And look what we got now. All right. So <clears throat> it's an honor and a privilege to be a dad. It's an honor, privilege, and a huge responsibility that this nation and uh, this government has just torn down the family unit taking the father away for hours and hours going to work and just, it's undermining it, undermining his, his institution of family. And that's the structure that God's given us to live and, and reign under him. And I'm not going to go through what the women should do and what the other husbands should be, be their husbands as a father, you know, and, and act in that way towards their children. But this is line upon line, um, how God perceives us and how we're to be used and implement the responsibility, and, and it is a responsibility of being a father. And for, and for some folks who have, didn't grow up with a dad, they don't know. They don't have an example. They've never had anybody to stand there and say, hey, I, I like the great, the great quote from Charles Barkley. I'm not an example. Don't follow me. I'm like, really? And he's not. You, you don't want your kids to grow up to be Charles Barkley. Famous guy. But he's a strange, That's not what I'm about. You know, he plays basketball and he's mean about it. Or he was. Anyways. So starting 103, verse 3. Actually, 4. Who redeemeth the life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness? tender mercies, who satisfieth my mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. The children are oppressed in this society. It is absolutely the crimes that are held against children in, in our society around the world. Okay, uh, Sexual slavery around the world, imprisonment. All right? And it's because of the lack of fathering. Oh, so true. When I taught in Baltimore City, it was the lack of fathers. By the third semester, I stopped asking who had a father at home because they didn't. Generation after generation was missing their father. And it showed because of their irresponsible lifestyles that they just they were taught to be on the streets. They were part of the hood. Their identity came from that family and not God's prescribed family. Verse number eight. 
And one last word. The Lord is, Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. That's a father. That's a father. Not that you shouldn't be taken out behind the barn and getting a good whooping, but not in a fit of anger. With knowledge and mutual understanding that that child is being punished when and wherefore because he's being loved. And God chastises his children, you and me, because he loves us. Because we turned left when he said, go right, go right, go right. We weren't listening. We were being stubborn. You know, that's old sin nature, the natural man. I want what I want it, what I want it. I want to go to Burger King. Don't go to Burger King. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Yes. There's going to go time when all of a sudden he's going to dish out the anger. But those are in the last days. That's his promise. I'm going to hold on with my mercy and grace towards my children, towards those who are going to receive me. And those who don't, there's an absolute answer to the behavior of this world. And yet they all look the other way. There's, there's a mindset of, well, I can't be wrong. I didn't get caught. Little kids are like that. You can catch me stealing cookies. Yeah, yeah. I used to steal Cheerios while my parents were playing penny ante poker at the table, and I'd sneak into the cupboard and steal the Cheerios, and they knew I was there, and I was probably five or six years old. You know? I didn't get caught until I dropped too many Cheerios on the floor. <laughs> He has not dealt with us after our sins. That is a beautiful promise because we're his children and there's no double condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. I hold on to that because our thought patterns are either in his will or out of his will. Now, it's only a sin if you follow after those thought patterns and execute the exercise. You know, exercise is not exercise if you think about it. Hey, I'm thinking about mowing the lawn. No, it's still growing. You didn't put any gas in the mower. By the way, the lawn looks beautiful today. But it's not. You're not that sin. You're a temptation of that sin. All right? And the Father looks upon us, and I love the, what his promise a little further down here. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. The iniquities are those sins with which we committed, fully knowing that it is a sin. And yet, we, it's not going to hurt to have one more cigarette. What's a cigarette anyways? It doesn't kill you instantly. It's back to that first lie. Did God really say that? The iniquities of Satan were, I want what I want when I want it. The five wills of, I, of Satan. I will be the utmost high. I will. I want his chair. Did you want his chair this morning? Or you just took it? Oh, okay. It wasn't iniquity, though. You know, we knew you had to sit up and pay attention because you're in pain. No. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is the mercy towards them that fear him. This word fear, when I was real young, confused me. Because I associated it with the fear of hell. Torment, fiery flames, the lake of fire. But it's, it's more of an awe and respect than it is a fear. And yes, those are motivating factors for a young man to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. 
but to know him and to understand his, his heart towards you and I is nothing but pure love and grace. And grace giving you to sustain the things that you can come up against, your disappointments, your, your button that gets pushed by one of your closest relatives. That's absolutely beautiful for me. Verse 12, consider this. I consider this often in that people want to dredge up their sins. They want to dredge up your sins. They want to know you after the flesh. But what does it say? It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Paul says, I, want to do, I don't want to do what I do, but I do it anyway. I sin in areas that I consciously know that I shouldn't be doing it, but I do it anyway. It's the old sin nature in us. And, but he says also, I'm not my sin. And many of us with real image issues will hold on to that as an image. Especially when someone who knew, knew you way back when runs into you and they only know you by your old sin nature, your activities while you were in the carnal and the natural. And that's hard for us to grasp that their perception of you is a non-reality because that's not you. And yet it's so easy to run down that, that, that course. You know, our, our minds, our brains are set up so that there's an electrical impulse and it's an easy pathway. It's like water. It takes the, most, the easiest route down the hill. It's not going to go up the tree and down the back. It's going to go down the hill. And the brain's the same way. You've got pathways there that are formed from habit, thought processes, and of course, whatever you're taking in through the eyes and the ears. Guard your ears, guard your eyes, little children. And we need to form new pathways through the Word of God. They say you can only hold on to about 120 things in your memory for instant grab. <laughs> I think I'm down to about 65. I don't really have all that. You know, it's just, but God is merciful. And just this promise that he doesn't perceive you. He only sees you through the blood of Christ. And there's no sin there. That's hard. We only can perceive ourselves in that we have sin, that we have shortcomings, that we I need to be better. No, he says, come as you are. There's no, other, there's no other conditions. It's an unconditional invitation. Come as you are. I know who you are. I know everything about you. Oh, that's scary. Hmm. But he doesn't see me there, or where I see me, where I see where I've been. And as a father, you can have a lot of accusations if you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you weren't this, you weren't that. Self-doubt. That old man is, uh, he's there with you all the time. He's looking, he's like, hey, 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 wake up, wake up, wake up. You didn't do it. You weren't enough. No, I'm never enough. I can never be enough. Young men who are married in the room, you're never enough. You're never enough for your wife. Only Christ is enough. That's what keeps, somebody asked me, I stayed together for 25 years. <laughs> Christ takes care of my wife, and I, I try to help. And my help ain't much. It truly isn't much. But it's the little things. The little things. My wife loves me for the little things I do for her. 
It's not the big trips. It's not the pearl necklace, though she has a set. It's not the diamonds, though she has a few. It's the little things, because those are heartfelt, moment-by-moment commitments of a husband towards their wife. And that's the same thing with the children and the grandchildren. How do, how do I be, how am I, I don't know how to be a grandfather. I've asked tutorials of grandparents. Hey, how do you do this? Spoil the hell out of them. I'm, I'm yeah. <clears throat> and then send them back home to their parents. That's wrong. <laughs> That's wrong. Spend time, let, let them spend time with you as much as they want to be available. And let them be who they are. Because you may have experienced what they're going through, but they need to learn those lessons first, firsthand. You can tell a child the stove's hot, but until they feel it, they don't know. And that's what God does. That's his parenting. It's not hands-off parenting. He cares. He's ready for your fall. And the father, we're ready for the fall, too. We try to catch them. But sometimes you can't prevent the fall. They need to have that fall, and then dad's there to pick them up. Verse 13, which I already kind of covered. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord has piteous them that fear him, that know his goodness toward him, that understand that he's going to allow things to happen to us for our own good. And that good is to draw to to him because he's the ultimate good as a father. When your child who's 30-something years old and they run up to you and hug you and say, I love you, I think some fathering got done okay. And it breaks me to think that. But it doesn't always happen that way. And And for those who are adopted or grew up fatherless, there's a father who loves them in heaven, who takes care of them and directs their steps and puts them in the places they need to be. And under... The stepfather, if that's the case, that's going to cover them. But the world doesn't believe in that. The world thinks the government should mandate and dictate and magistrate all of our lives and force us into surrendering our convictions of allowing God be God. And you can look at it on any level in society that Men know better. Historically, men haven't known better. Men have screwed it up time and time and time again when they took their eyes off of God, off of God the Father. And Christ himself looked unto the Father and said, not my will, but thy will, in the very thing I know is going to happen. I could walk away. Christ could say, I can walk away from this, knowing, and I'd still complete my, my role, but he didn't. Because there was a promise to be made and, and, and led into. Going into the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew exactly what was coming. He wasn't separated from his divinity and mortality. He was one. And having that all knowledge and still moving forward because of an ultimate love of the Father towards the Son and completing his task. Some people, oh, Jesus was not a father. No, he was a father to all of us. And that he surrendered that humanity for one and all. And that's what a father does. 
He surrendered. He, he gives up the toys. He walks away from the buddies. He gives them that little time. He paints his nails with his little daughter. He has a tea breakfast with his little daughter. All those things. He sacrifices the time for that child to look back and say, my dad loved me in all these areas. And sometimes I wasn't lovable. Sometimes I was a little brat. Kids can be that way. And sometimes dads don't even say I love you. They just show it in the best way they know how because they, they may not have had a tutor. They may not have had the Charles Barkley in their life to holler at them and be, who knows. Or they came out of an abusive relationship with their parents. Again, Satan attacking the family, attacking the fathers, pulling them out of their, the righteous role God has given them in it all. But God covers all that. He covers it all that he's the father of the fatherless. That's what I have to say about Father's Day. It's awesome. Amen?